Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at tmobile.com/now. Giles Martin may be the son of famed Beatles record producer Sir George Martin, but he's also an acclaimed record producer and composer in his own right. He's won multiple Grammys and an Emmy for his work across TV, music, and film. He's worked on projects with The Rolling Stones, Elton John, and Metallica and is celebrated for his work remastering albums from the Beatles, including Sgt. Pepper's, Abbey Road, and The White Album. Last October, Giles' remaster for Revolver was released, along with never-before-heard home demos and outtakes from the Beatles. Giles was able to separate the original 1966 mono recording tracks with the help of director Peter Jackson's audio team, who used AI technology. Giles' resulting mix allows listeners to hear with clarity and precision the original recordings like never before. On today's episode, Rick Rubin talks to Giles Martin about his approach to remastering the Beatles and the responsibility that comes along with it. Giles also talks about growing up in the music industry and how he became his dad's ears in studio sessions when his father lost his hearing. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Rick Rubin in conversation with Giles Martin from Shangri-La. Tell me growing up in the house that you grew up in. We've never talked about this before, so this is interesting. What's it like growing up in such a musical household? Let's start like that. Well, it's really hard. Like people say to me, what's it, what was it like growing up having George Martin as a, as, a, as a father? And you go, well, I never had a different father. I never had a different dad, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what the difference is. And this is what I try and encourage my kids and other people with kids. is like music wasn't something 
that was distant from me. Like playing an instrument wasn't something that was a stranger to because my dad would sit and play the piano. In fact, when I was about four years old, they said in my playgroup, what does your dad do? And people go, my dad's a lawyer, my dad's a whatever it is. And I'd say, my dad just sits home and plays the piano. And I think he was running the music for Live and Let Die, the Bond film at that time. I think yeah. that's, that was, if I look at the era, it was around about 70, 1974. So music was a natural thing. What's interesting, the Beatles didn't really exist in my household. It was not that they were banned from the house. I mean, we had a copy of Abbey Road and that was it, I think. Really? Yeah, I do, because it was something he did. I understood. And, you know, you've always been progressive in your life. Yeah, you've you always bring been, your work life home. Yeah, and, but it's also, it's what you did. Yeah. What you're interested about is what you're doing and what you're going to do. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize. Was your dad home a lot or was he at the studio daily? Like, tell me what, what were days like? It's hard to it's a long time ago. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, he was he was pretty good. He always said that he wasn't around enough. It was interesting. I had a, I had a manny. I had a male nanny who was there was a band, a seventies band called Stackridge. He worked with, and the drummer from Stackridge was unhappy being the drummer in Stackridge, and became looked after us kids. So my, I had a drummer as a as a nanny. And my dad would be at the studios, but I would go and see him. I mean, he was at a place called Air Studios, which is in Oxford Street. It's where Nike Town is now. If it was in London, they go to Oxford Circus. Nike Town is where. And it was the top of that building. And I remember as a kid, he had two offices. He had one, he was part of Chrysalis Records at the time. And that was his, that was obviously a record company. And I just found that really boring going to go see him there. And the other was the studios, which, you know, up an elevator to quite high up, probably the fourth floor as far as, you know, us Brits goes, which is really high up for us. And there were corridors, and there was a long corridor. At the end of the corridor was a hot chocolate machine, and it was free. But on the doors of each corridor, there were rooms where things would happen. There were rooms where there would be musicians and speakers and noise. And I could sense even then, as like a four- or five-year-old or six-year-old, or I could sense that this was different from an office. This was different. This had a different feel to it. It was perfectly natural for me to be in that environment because I didn't know any different. What would be the music playing in your household other than your dad playing piano? Well, here's the, here's the thing. We didn't have a stereo system in our house because uh, my mom didn't like speakers. My dad used to She go, didn't like the way they looked or the way they sounded or- The what, way they looked. The way they looked. We did eventually get a, get a hi-fi. So me and my sister had a, had a, a record player mm -hmm. and we would listen to, and we would get records- we weren't, I don't think we were terribly spoiled children. We get records, quite often records we got were records from my dad or, or, or labels and stuff like that. And it would vary. I remember like, we used to listen like, even the quietest moments by Supertramp, which was an album that came out. And it was Peter Henderson was the engineer, like who we knew. Or there was like a Carole King album called Chicken Soup and something or other. I always thought Carole King was this sort of New England housewife that made things. Then I, then I worked with her. I met her and I realized that she's more like Dr. Ruth, funny enough. It's a character. She's brilliant, Carole King. She's fantastic. Like this sort of, this hot wire. There were, there were, so there were these records that, you know, I was aware of we had a Stan Getz album because he, he worked with Stan Getz. And so we had these albums that my dad had made and the Maravishna Orchestra for example, Jeff Beck, Blow by Blow. These albums, that they, they were the albums because they were free. And then obviously as kids, you you end up buying, you know, Bowie records. And I remember I had trans, well, I was obsessed by Transformer by Lou Reed, you know, for instance, all these, these records. But we, I remember my dad, my, my body memories, my dad sitting outside our house in the car and listening to the work he was doing because we didn't have a stereo at home in, in, in our living room, as it yeah. were. 
so many people do listen to music in the car. It's not yeah. a bad place to listen to music. No, it's good. As you know, you and I both know it's a good place yeah. to check mixes. Absolutely. That's In fact, less do. so now, funny enough, because cars now do stuff to audio that we don't want them yeah. to do. But yeah. yeah. Uh, usually you can turn it off, though. Yeah, yeah, you... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, wait a second. Uh, you know, audio has become more sophisticated at the same time, less sophisticated in a way. Yeah. And technology companies decide to do things to our music that maybe we don't, don't want to do. Yeah. They usually want to go, I want to listen to the car because I want to listen to what it sounds like simply. That's it's an interesting thing to talk about. I, I know that that was a big when the Beatles catalog was streamed when they decided to stream for the first time. Yeah, you were involved in the the way that was handled, and it was different than the way most other, maybe all other music, was streamed. Tell me about that. You know, I never planned on being involved with the Beatles. You know, I wanted to be a singer, songwriter, guitar player. And circumstances happen that, you know, nepotism rules or, you know, whatever it is. And so I have been ever since the Love Project, which I did in, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, been involved in that. And the streaming thing came up. And I just, I have this view. I'm, I'm a bit like the kid in Mary Poppins that, that wants to feed the birds and not go, not, not go to the bank. I think music should be available to people. And, and I, the Beatles was held off streaming uh, maybe because of quality, but probably more so because they're thinking about, okay, how do we sell box sets and how do we... I'm going, there's kids that have no idea what this music is because they're not buying records. And we have to accept that. That's a, you know, it's 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 neither good or bad. It's just, it is. You know, people go, people don't listen to albums anymore. Well, we can't judge how people... You want to make things available to people. That's what I believe. So the when the Beatles went on streaming, I just said, I used the power, there's like a bullying power with the Beatles saying, okay, if you want to be on streaming, let's make sure the quality is as good as it can be. And I don't believe in that thing where people go, you can't, you know, artists go, you can't enjoy music because it's not good good quality. I listened to cassette, I had cassettes, that were, cassettes were my my thing. I like to be cool and so I had vinyl, but I was of generation I had cassettes. I had a cassette, not even a Walkman, like a, a really bad player with those orange headphones that only did fast forward and didn't do rewind, you know, and have to turn over the tape to get, that's what I had. And it came with free speakers. Two little speakers came in the same box. But I I listened to records on that, which I fell in love with. They sounded like, to me, it was like, I didn't need anything else. Our, Our mind fills in the blanks. We can fill in the spaces that are there. But you might as well make things, if they can be good, make things as good as they can be. That's what we do in studios. So with the Beatles, I went to Spotify, I went to Apple, I went to whoever would take me and said, okay, how do we make the system better? How do we get rid of normalization, which compresses music? How do we make sure the codecs are good? And so I've been working on, I started working on that with them. Let's talk about what you found out about the way the standards were done that you wanted to override because again it's interesting and nobody knows this i only know it because you told me about it there's this thing called normalization where everything needs to be the same level it's like life if everything in life is the same level you're not you're neither happy or you're neither happy or sad i want to feel stuff i don't want to you know i may be very english you know <laughs> i sound english i you know but but I, i'm emotional i care about stuff deeply and i get i cry about things it's the same with music that's what music to be we want it to be we don't want it to be the same level we want it to be surprising and I went to go and see Spotify in Sweden, and we talked about the process of imbibing music, how they take the music and how they put it out, and making sure this doesn't happen. That we and they agreed. They and what's interesting, what people there's the thing in the music industry where the artist and the, listen, that's another question about how the artists are dealt with. But there's the thing about people perceive that these companies don't care, but they do care about it. 
They really do. You know, I, in my in my experience, they have teams and they just they want to know how to make it better, mm-hmm. opposed to going. We don't care about it, mm-hmm. and that's what I found. So with Apple, they were developing new codecs. They came to see me when they did their master for iTunes thing, and because I, because the way I grew up being my dad's ears because he went deaf and we, you know the, he I was I was in studios listening for a long time and I knew what one killer sounded like maybe at too early an age and I remember saying I met a guy who was head of corridor Apple and we did a listening test down at Bob Clear Mountain's place in Santa Monica and they played me a remaster of something I think it was a Dan Life or something and I just said I'm hearing a weird compression at like 400 hertz and I'm also hearing this leveling out at nine kilohertz. And they looked at me like I was some pretentious, which is fair enough. Yeah. And I just go, I can only say what I'm hearing. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. this guy, Bill Stewart, yeah. William Stewart, who was the head of, he said to me much later, he goes, the weird thing is we just thought you were mad. But I said, you know, to the team we should. And he goes, we, we found we found it. We found what you were talking about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like we found, and, and I went, well, okay. Um, I, listen, I don't know, Bill, but but I mean, I can only tell you what I hear. But what the great thing about that is then they engage and then they said, okay, how do we make things better? How can we? And I get seen, I mean, two years ago, um, someone came to see me from a company and said, it's completely transparent. And silly enough for them, he had an AB situation. And I went to tell you what streaming service it was. And I said, no, that's, I'm hearing, I'm mm-hmm. hearing somewhere over seven kilohertz that's not. And he said, but... People can't tell the difference. And I said, no, if I walked into a room and you played to me, I wouldn't tell the difference. Yes. That's the thing. That's the difference. Yes, yes, yes. But if you're well, let's saying- let's get it right. But, but if, you know, but now, you've, now I've got a button. I immediately I can hear what's going on. Of course. But that's not the point. Let's get it right. And so I find that with, in that world, the people want to engage. And yeah. it's just making sure that getting rid of all the, the BS around it. Yeah. And there's a thing that I, you know, I get attacked for occasionally. I'm, I have a pretty good run of stuff. But, you know, like about compression and limiting. People have been compressing and limiting records since records were recorded. By the nature of recording there, that's what happens. I mean, my dad flew over to Capitol in L.A. because the Americans were so much louder than the English. I mean, they still are, <laughs> socially. No, they, they're, so much louder, they're so much louder than the English. And he went to the Come Fly, Come Fly Me sessions with Frank Sinatra. There's my dad. No one ever knew he was there. He was young and wet behind the ears. To see how they were doing To see it. how the Americans could be loud, because in those days... Everything was listened to on a, on a turntable, and the American records would come on the radio, and they'd be louder than the English ones, and they wouldn't know, the EMI wanted to know why. Yeah, I'm accused of, uh, there's this whole loudness war of debate. Of course. And um, I always wanted my things to sound loud, because I want them to be like the Beatles. <laughs> like, yeah. the Beatles were always louder yeah. than everybody but, else. But like, you always made records that sounded beautiful. I mean, and always will. That was my, that's my goal. And always, you know, and, always, my best. and always will do. It's like, you know, people want to listen to your records because they sound, it doesn't matter what it is. They just, and I, it, it's funny. I went to, I get these, a guy from this team of hi-fi experts came to see me. This is down at Abbey Road a while back. And they started, they had this conversation with me. And I said, you know, records have been compressed for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I try and I try and not make you know. I try and have dynamics. We talked about the feel yes. and stuff like that in a record. I said, but really, it's really only from like 1972 to 1980 that there was this sort of less compression. I like you know. And I said, so so if you're trying to sell me your hi-fi's, what would you play me? They went, oh, Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits. And I was like, okay, I think it's 1977. They went, Darks of the Moon by Pink Floyd. And you go, okay, it's 74, 73. I went, so your theory is. The, the only music worth listening to is from this like seven, six years, seven year period of time. And you realize how crazy that is. Yeah. 
We have to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more from Rick Rubin and Giles Martin. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. We're back with more from Rick Rubin and Giles Martin, who's talking about how the streaming services built-in technology affects the sound of the Beatles catalog. Tell me about the normalization process that they were doing. Was it a compression or was it matching levels? It was matching levels, but it has to be done. The problem is with all of this is that I don't think it was done on the input stage. So if it was on the input stage... So it was stage, actually redu- when you make yeah, something so- loud, quieter... There's a way to do it where you're retaining all of the information, and there's a way to do it where you're actually removing information, yeah, so r- removing resolution to get it quieter. E- exactly. So that's what was going on. So there was a digital compression happening in order to make the track the right level. Yeah. And there's, there becomes a sound to it. Yes. There, and there becomes a sound that's then accepted. Yes. And it's a very difficult thing to to negate and it's it's really here's the here's the thing and i can sit here now as like a as now just turned 53 year old man and go that's the reason why records don't last as long but the same point is that you know when revolve was made 
They didn't plan on it lasting very long. No, that's the thing. You just yeah. go. You know, so there's a there's a there's a there's a tangible sort of inner turmoil that goes mm-hmm. on in this in us in us on our mountaintops judging yeah. this thing. Yeah, yeah. But the only thing I would say, and the only thing that that I think is is really important, is that as time goes on, technology is a wonderful thing. That's the thing people think it isn't. Technology is is you you can be in a situation, you know, even with spatial audio, even with that you can bring someone closer to the artist. You can you can have that directness. You know, you and I are talking now and we're talking on good microphones and we have this conversation, but it's not the same as someone being in a room with us. Mm-hmm. And so we or much better people than us that make records now, you know, will be in a situation where they can they can create something and it's it should be as close as to what they want someone to hear. You know, with technology, with everything going on. Yes. What's happened is, it, is sometimes we move further away from that yes. because of the way it's being delivered and the way it's being done. And because of presumptions by technology companies that that's the right thing to do. Yes. And so, you know, I get, I get given keys to things like I'm now head of audio and sound for UMG. So one of my roles is to look at this stuff and go, okay, this is a universal music group for anyone. But, but to go, okay, how do we, how do we create this transparency? You know, there's no agenda here. There's no like, you know, no, I'm no, not trying no. to sell more records. I'm no. not, uh, my no. role is purely, how do we create this transparency? It's almost like a preservation. Correct. It's a, pr- it's a preservation. But it's also a preservation looking forward as well. It's not just a question of, of me doing what I do with old records. It's like, I'm more interested in what, you know, people are doing with their records and going, okay, you need to make sure. Like, you know, music, music used to flow out of us. Yes. Or flow out of artists. And, and, and be in a stream. And now it's in a waterfall. It's like this cascading, collapsing waterfall. That's, everyone's being hit by things all the time. You can't change that. But what you can do is reassure the people that spend hours, days, and weeks working on something that it can be, it can go to someone who loves your music in the best possible way. It's like, you know, who wants, a, who wants a cold pizza in a box? Absolutely. And, and one of the things about the well-meaning technical advances... <laughs> What they can do is you can listen to a piece of music and then they press a button that would be like the equivalent of, let's say, a loudness button. Everybody knows what the loudness button does. So you press the loudness button and it seems like you might like that better. But you might like that better on some pieces of music and not others. Yeah. And if that loudness button was universally put on everything where you no longer have the button or the choice to turn it off... It's one of the things actually with Sonos that that I recommended early on with Sonos. Sonos has a built-in loudness button and it comes on. And I suggested it should come off. Yeah. And you can turn it on if you want it on. But the first thing I do when I connect a new Sonos speaker is turn off the loudness yeah, button. Absolutely. Because it sounds more like what the record sounds like. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing. It's like, you know, that's designed so a loudness button in that case is designed. So it adds more bass at lower levels, not high levels. It, it's the same thing as I remember when in, having a, a car which had a variable volume limit for when I, how fast I was going. Do yeah, you remember those? Worst. It makes me crazy. It's Most like, cars have them. Yeah, it's like, it's like when it's like, Especially if you're listening to mixes while you're driving, yeah. it makes you crazy. It's just, and actually I was listening to a, a Shani or Shanti a mix the other day, mm-hmm. this artist, and it was like, and I was listening to on a system and with, with the mix engineer, and it's like, Loads, loads of 808 kick drum loads of thing and we were checking out and I said did you mean to make the vocal louder here it's very brave and he goes no it stays meant to stay the same and what happened the system was compressing and this is the thing about compressing a limiter the system was compressing so once the once the 808 and all that heavy low sub was removed from the track when 
the guy was rapping when there was no, it meant his vocal just came up. And I was like, well, that's not right. Yeah. That's not, that's not, that's an example. So, I mean, I said to a, like a senior engineer at Apple, who's a good mate of mine, I this is when they released one of the released products and the same with Sonos and all these, like, they, they said in their blurb, you know, we remix the sound. I go, never say, if you want the artist, never say your product remixes the sound. Just yeah. say, you know, we are a, you know, I want there to be a completely flawless window. Yes. And let the sunlight shine through into our homes. That's yes. what I want. Or yes. open just a flow, and I don't want I don't want anything between it. That's no. the thing. And there's and, and bizarrely, you have to do a lot of technical stuff to make that happen. Yes, that's the key. Yes, and but it's, it's interesting taste. how even certain things like vinyl. It's really fun to listen to vinyl, but I can't say that vinyl's more accurate. It's just another filter. No. It's a, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's maybe a filter we like. Yeah, Same is true thing. with tubes. It's like yeah. tubes sound great, but they sound like tubes. They don't sound no, like the music. Sound, it's like, <laughs> it's the, here's the thing. It's like, I remember, you know, I, the first Beatles album, I re, they asked me to remix, and I was against remixing any Beatles album. I've got to be honest with you, but... You know, Paul and Ringo said, "You know, we want. You know, can you do this?" And I said, "Well, I'll do. I'll do three tracks, and and then we'll." So we listened to them, and they liked them. And I thought and it was Sergeant Peppers, and so I remixed Sergeant Peppers, and I really spent a lot of time over this stuff and thinking about it because I'm basically painting a moustache in the Mona Lisa. I'm doing stuff. A lot of people that a a lot of people who are better than me would like to be doing this job, and b a lot of people who love this music would like me to not be doing this job. Yes. So I'm like walking this. I know I'm walking this fine line at the same time. And I'd done it, and I'd looked at it, and I was wondering, is it too bright? Is it, you know, is it too loud? Is it too... And eventually, I'm happy with it. And then we cut the vinyl. And it, to me, it sounded really good. It sounded better than what I'd... And I found it annoyed, because, like, you know, you know, I like to be in control of stuff. I wasn't in control of stuff. I cut the vinyl. Even the stereo imaging sounded better to me. Yeah. It was like, what's, what's going on here? Yes. I can't... I don't know. But that's yes. a filter. It is a yes, filter. it's a filter. And in all these cases... There, there's like, there's the arguments that vinyl is closer to. It's like, no, it's not. No. But you may like, you might like it more. It may be, it may yeah. be technically better, but it's not closer. And there's, <laughs> and there's a whole generation of records, you know, from what Dre was doing, yes. which, which the way that shifted, wouldn't have been able to shift if it was still on vinyl. Yes, or if it was still on tape yeah because because the the amount of bass and low end wouldn't exist yes they wouldn't exist it just wouldn't like you know that's the interesting it may be it's not better or worse it just is yeah just, and it's just different yeah and you use you use the equipment that you have that's another thing is like the excuse uh many people we see they feel like they can't do it because the equipment changed yeah. it's like it really is the artist and the listener and whatever's in between is not so important we, you know what I'm saying? We can yeah. we can use our best efforts to use what we think sounds good, but to say, well, if I don't have a Neve console, I can't make a record. <laughs> so it's it's a ridiculous you know, idea. I had a I had a I have a friend of mine who was a great mix engineer, and I was working. I was producing a band when I was 23, deeply unsuccessful. I'm doing a really bad job because so I didn't know what I was doing. He was in, he was in, it was at Rack Studios in in London. Mm -hmm. It was a great studio, old API desks and stuff. And he was in the room next door and he was working in a band in the 90s. And it sounded great what he was doing. I was yes. like, I'd go back into my room and it sounded terrible. Yes. His room. And we became friends. And, you know, and he, he actually said one thing. He goes, once, once you learn how to make things sound good, it gets kind of boring. So you have to work out, you know, that, it, you know, I, you know, I try not making, make bad sound. I don't think I make bad sounding records. You know, I, I kind of know I, but he said to me, he goes, I don't, I mistrust anyone who walks into studios and say, I can't work in the studios. Especially nowadays, we have everything. 
Yeah. We have everything. And it's like, yeah. the, I'll tell you what makes great sound is great musicians. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like I worked on the first Jubilee concert back in 2002, which Brian May played guitar on the roof for Buckingham Palace. And we had as the artist, and Stevie Winwood was one of the artists, and he wrote to me, and he was going to give me some loving. And was like, the, the band was like, it was like Phil Collins on drums and Pino Paladino on bass and Ray Cooper on percussion. And it was one of those, it was one of those very English kind of charity events. And Steve Wood was one of the nicest guys in the world. And he gave me CDs of each part of Give Me Some Loving for the band to, to learn, which he'd done MIDI, like under like DX7 or something like that. And he sent me this demo, like, like Pino said to me, he goes, I think I know how the bass line from Give Me Some Loving goes. That's <laughs> like gave him a CD from Stevie Winwood. And it was like on a key, like dum 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 bum 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 on a keyboard. But then he sang. He sang obviously on some like answer phone on this track. It was the weirdest thing. It was this terrible backing track, which is a terrible mini backing track, with Steve Winwood singing into and it was like he could sing into anything and he would sound amazing. Like Joe Cocker, like these artists, he was on the concert as well. But there's these singers, like the reason why people go. Even with me with Beatles, I go that you know the White Album sounds great. It's like that's because it sounds great. I mean, thank you, but honestly, I'm pushing faders up, and you know, yes. they and and as we move on, that's the unfair thing. You start, you go, you work with people who aren't very good, and then you get to work with people who are good, and you make good records, and we get a lot of credit for stuff that is just people sound good. That's people what, sound good. People sound people good. sound good. And if we're in the lucky position to get to cast the people who are playing, yeah. And if we pick the right ones, it sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds, it's like, that's the key. More than any microphone. Yeah. Or more than any compressor or, you know, we have favorite like equipment we like to use, but you have to start off with the right ingredients. Yeah. I was lucky to work on a, a session that Ringo played drums on and he played smaller drums than most of the drummers that I work with. Yeah. And he seemed to hit the drums more casually than the, <laughs> most of the drummers I work with. And the sound that came off the drums filled the room in a tremendous way that was different than everyone else. Oh, really? And it's just the way, it was the nature of the way he did it. Yeah. It was in, it was in his hands. Yeah. In his body is where the sound was. Yeah, I sat in a room doing a concert with Joni Mitchell once and she just played the guitar and sang and like as close as we are now. It was like, I couldn't work out where the music was coming from. I literally couldn't work out. It was like it was emanating from her. And it, yeah. and I love that. I love the fact that we look for that secret, you know, what's the plug-in? And I love the idea that you could take someone, you could train them to be Joni Mitchell from the age of five, and they would never be Joni Mitchell. No. There's a spirit. And in, in, without sounding pretentious, our job is, is, to, is to capture that spirit and pass it. As possible. Yeah, and to not get in the way not of it. Not get in the way of it. No, absolutely to right. It's it, like, really? Well, this is the thing. I mean, even like with the legacy stuff I do with the Beatles, I get to walk into Abbey Road and I get to put the tapes up in the same way you did with Paul. Yeah. And you listen to stuff and you go, well, how, how lucky am I? This is really touching me. You know, how can I take stuff off this so people can hear it? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Opposed to how can I get my sound up? You know, no. you know that's, yeah, it has, yeah. has nothing to do with nothing. this. You're just, yeah, you're just basically. You know, you're just passing things down. And it's the same when we come to the streaming thing. The, the next stage is the streaming thing. How can that be passed to someone? So here you are. Here's, here's not a cold pizza in a box. Here is a delicious thing for you to enjoy. Yes. Let's talk about the White Album a little bit. The White Album that you did was two years ago? Yeah, I think so. Well, and I, yeah, no, I did, because I did the, the whole Peter Jackson. The, the big deluxe, thing. Big, yeah. the yeah, big two, White two Album. Two years ago, I think, yeah. It felt it like was. it was about to, because yeah. I've been wanting to talk to you since then. Oh, yeah. Because that, it, <laughs> it really blew my mind. 
White Album might well be my favorite of all albums. Yeah. And when I listened to the new mix of it, it didn't feel like a remix. No, well, it shouldn't. It didn't. It felt like I was hearing this album that I've been listening to my whole life all the time that I was hearing it for the first time. And that was a remarkable experience. Like I'd never actually heard it all before. <laughs> yeah. It was like a, a blanket was taken off the speakers and I could actually hear the clarity of what was happening. And it was an amazing experience. Oh, well, thank you. So tell me technologically what happened to allow that to happen. Yeah, it's a good question. The answer the answer is well, a number of things, but there's no there's no real um one thing that it's you apply. And it's certainly it's certainly not anything to do with cleansing or cleaning yeah. material. Because I don't believe in that. Yeah. Like even when the white album is predominantly eight track, it's, there's a couple of four track. And I, I I I let the bleed from the other tracks come through because otherwise it becomes, you know, sterile. Yes. But the White Album, like all Beatles albums, was made for vinyl. And it was made in different rooms and at a fractious time. So people, it's quite often it was mixed out of anger. And mixed by like Ken Scott and Chris Thomas, who are, who are both brilliant. I mean, like Ken Scott went on to do Hunky Dory and Transformed by Lou Reed, amongst other things. And Chris Thomas is one of the, one of the greatest producers. But it was done in a fractious time. You know, I think George Harrison or George Martin, my dad, told the story when they were doing Savoy, Tru Savoy Truffle. My dad walked into Studio 3 in, in Abura, I think they were in. Ken Scott was mixing it. And my dad goes, it sounds a bit bright, George. And he went, yeah, I know, and I like it. Like, you know, get out of here, that kind of thing. And so it, it was made at a time where it was like, the, the fractiousness is on the mix, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So therefore, maybe, and it's, I, I have to walk a tightrope here because I'm dealing with, you know, a, a something people hold dear. Sometimes the translation of what was intended on the White Album, like the aggression or not the aggression, is leveled out a bit like we're talking about what streaming services do. It's, it's, it's come down sometimes too compressed, sometimes too bright, sometimes whatever. So I'm having to mix this material, but I'm trying to mix it, bearing in mind what they want. Because don't forget, I am also, you know, Ringo and Paul are still alive and Olivia Harrison and Danny Harrison, Sean Lennon and Yoko. So I am I am working for them, playing them. But my intent is to go, okay, how do I do as little as possible and get you to be in the room with the band? Because one thing about the Beatles and the Beatles records, and I've worked on lots of other, I've done, you know, I think I've mixed Rolling Stones, I've done Beach Boys now, I've done, there's, there's certain artists you... A bit like a, an autopsy. You open up the body and you find out it's not in great working order. You need to sew it up and put it back together as quickly as possible. Yes. The Beatles aren't one of those artists. Yeah. You open it up and you realize there's beauty that lies within. Yes. There's performance that you haven't quite heard yet. And that's what I try and focus on. You try and focus first on it. It's, so, the, so the answer is not a technical one. It's, not, it's an emotional one. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that this was them live in the room. So how do I make it feel like, like the wonderful work you've done? Like where you, the great thing about what you've done is you've, you celebrate the musician in all of your work. In all of your work, you celebrate the musician. And I've, and I've learned from you from doing that. You know, I've learned from you from, from watching like the Chili Peppers documentary that was made way back then with, you know, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that thing yeah. in, the, in the house. Yeah. We, we, all, we all wanted to be, be you or be produced by you, Rick. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> and, and it's the same thing. So I walk into, you know, forget the fact I'm my father's son. 
I want to be on those sessions because I'm a musician and I'm yes. a producer. That's what, you know, it doesn't, my dad has nothing to do with this, but he does. Yes. You know, he's a spirit that I, that, that's with me. So I just go, okay, Rick, you can't be with me listening to this stuff. So how can I get you close to that? So how do, how do I mix this? So it's like you haven't heard it before, you have heard it before. And I'm really careful to A, B, the old and new. So it's not, you know, I remember, listen, I really respect Bob Clearmouth. He's a genius, but I remember he mixed All Right Now by Free and I was into Humble Pie because I was a guitar player. Yeah. And they were like, the cowbell was loud and the snare drum sounded different. I was like, no, that's not what I want. Yeah, I wanted not, to. Yeah, you want, you want it to be what it is. Exactly. But what it is where you haven't heard it and before. There's weird, is, uh, and there's a weird. That's why I don't understand. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, it's like, it's not like the levels are different. It's, it's not like the sounds are different, no, but, but you can hear it in a way you couldn't hear it but before. But it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like in that mode. I'm kind of remastering in a really complicated way. You know, that's what I'm doing. I'm remastering individual tracks and putting it back together again. It's like there's a, and there's a weird psychosomatic thing that goes on here. Like so, I've just you know just done Revolver, and the response to Revolver has been like the White Album has been, but there's like a finger snap in here, there, and everywhere. And I had this. I don't, I don't remember the finger snapping here, there, and everywhere. Not that I listen to the Beatles. I don't listen to the Beatles yes. on my spare time. But I was like, and I think, well, I put it there, and then, and I go, okay, maybe it should be here and come and, and then you listen to the original, and go, oh, there, there it is. There's a weird psychosomatic thing. People go, you make Ringo's drums louder. And I, I, I don't really. Yes. But for some reason, there's the impact, and I think what it is 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 the, the limiting and compression I do is slightly different from what they did then because I have more time. And let's face that, I also have what they did before to A, B. Yes, and I, yes, and yes. I learned really... So my first Beatles experience was the Love Project. And that was basically out of desperation because I was working on records, I think successfully, but things I didn't want to do. And I said, listen, I reckon I can create a show that never happened just by chopping up the tapes. And they went, okay, you've got three months, we're not going to pay you. And I went to the album and I remixed Iron the Walrus. And I was like... Oh my god, I'm I'm a genius. This is great. And just out of interest, I listened to the original, and it sounded so much worse, but was so much better than my record, yes. than my mix. It was so much better. It was like yeah. claustrophobic and dark and distorted and mono and stereo. And it's like, no, what I've done is boring. And it's preserving that. It's like it, things don't have to sound great; they just have to sound right. Yeah, maintaining the the spirit of yeah. what it originally it's, was. It's really important. Yeah, because then it's like. <laughs> The, the amazing thing about the Beatles and the people that worked on the Beatles, you know, these great engineers, and my dad is, they did things really quickly, but they did things so right. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. It's funny, I, I saw Paul about Revolver and I was playing him Taxman. And he goes, no, the guitars, your guitar is just, the guitar solo, which he played, I think, is, is you know, it could be more aggressive. And I was like, it's really aggressive on the original. I was like, Okay, and he goes. He goes. I know it's too loud in the original, but it should be too loud. Yeah, and that seems like uh, fresh by Sly and the Family Stone. Yes, is a terrible sounding record, but a great sounding record. Yes. It's a great sounding record because it's mixed in the way it's mixed. It's yeah. like, and I, and you know, I speak to mixers like Tom Elmhurst, and all these people go, I, I don't believe in what you do, and I really respect what they say, and it's absolutely right. I mean, they don't listen to what I do, but you don't understand. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to correct a mistake or something like that. I'm trying to. And the the one thing is that, regardless of what you or I think, it gets people talking about stuff, and then gets people to listen to stuff, and gets generations going, having arguments about it, and then then they engage. They don't they don't just hear it; they listen to it. Yes. We have to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more from Rick Rubin and Giles Martin. 
As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. We're back with Rick Rubin and Giles Martin. I understand that for the revolver, there's a new technology available that hasn't been available before that allowed this to happen. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Tell me about that. So the pandemic hit, as we all know, and I was in the middle of working on the Get Back project with Peter Jackson. We started working on that before the pandemic, and it was meant to be a two-hour film, and it became a seven-hour, 40-minute extravagant. Peter, Peter, who I love, and he's become... A, like a really good, you know, a good friend. He loves a trilogy, you know, he can't avoid, mm-hmm. he can't avoid a trilogy. And, mm-hmm. But it gave us time to, you know, like a bit like wartime, it gave us time to look at technology. And the Get Back project was recorded on Nagra tape, which is this quarter inch, these little brown reels of tape and not sunk to picture. We had to sink it in the picture. And this tape had Paul and John talking with George Ben guitar or, and he has a dialogue at it that is called Emil Delaray, his name is, which is a great name, who had looked into AI using actually American police force research about how you can remove 
transients or things from different recordings. So he started taking the guitar off Paul's voice or John's voice or Ringo, and he started separating his elements so they could make the film, and the film became what it is, and it's you know it's been really well received. And during this, at the end of last year in this process, you know, so I was mixing the film, I was mixing the music for the film, and I suddenly had these elements. I said to him, I said, okay, maybe we should have a look at Revolver. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, if I send you track one from Taxman, which is a guitar, bass, and drums together, can you separate them? He goes, yeah, I think so. And I went, really? He went, yeah. And I said, well, you know, you look at it, I'll tell you what transients I'm missing, what things I'm missing. He did the first pass, and it's pretty amazing. I said, there's a couple of things, the guitar hits, I'm not. And, and we started collaborating on this process. And it got to the stage where, I kid you not, and I'm happy to play it, you know, the, the drums, guitar, bass, tax messages, because guitars with the snare drum. I could have drums on their own where I can hear the squeak of Ringo's kick drum pedal, the bass separate, guitar separate, and all the transients there. So then, then, I, then he could separate the kick drum and the snare drum. And the snare drum hits, I kid you not, Rick, it's like a snare drum, a sample snare drum. It has the tail, has everything. And I don't know, I, like, I can claim credit for it. No idea how it happens. It's AI and machine learning. And what apparently what it does the, is the computer will recognize what the sound is. But really important to me is that I can then put all these elements together and play the original tape and sync them up and reverse the phase, and it completely, you hear nothing. So there's no artifacts, there's no distortion. I mean, like, this is an idea of what that is. So if I reverse the phase on something, it means it's the same thing. If I add a little bit of an EQ to one, you start hearing it. You start hearing something because it changes. There's no changes happening. And it means it opens up the door. What's interesting is it opens up the door to a whole load of magical recordings are out there not that they should be destroyed in any way but just so new generation hear different things or or great singers that haven't been heard can be heard or even like people can be sampled and used for stuff you know it, it does open that that doorway so, so you're basically taking a a finished yep. record that's in let's say it's in stereo mm -hmm. taking that stereo and with no back material turning it back into the components Correct. that it was made from. Correct. And then you have those individual components that you can put back together in either the same way or in a different way. Yeah, it's like it's like being given a cake and then suddenly, you know, you handing me back flour, eggs, milk, sugar, you know, whatever's in the cake. Yeah. But they're pure. Yes. That's the difference. A lot of people have done this before. And I did a film with Ron Howard, this Beatles film, Eight Days a Week, where I had to take screams off. Great movie, by the way. It was, it was great. Thank one. you. It was great. That's a great But one. to get the sound, to get any form of sound, because this is like the Washington concert is, it sounds awful. I mean, it sounds, is to get, you know, I had to do some demixing and just so you could hear the band, but it was still really reimagined. It didn't sound very good. And it was like, I had to really put it back together again. With this, we're getting to the stage now where the drums from C, She Said, you know, no, you know, the band have never heard the drums from She Said because they yeah. were guitar and bass. Yeah. But it's, it's like, you know, if I played you the drums from She Said, which had been in, in, in the studio right now, you go, hey, Giles, that's a great sounding drum sound. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's something like Revolver. You know, we're used to the, in fact, the stereo mix Revolver wasn't actually the stereo mix. The stereo mix Revolver was done in the 80s by my dad at Air Studios in Montserrat. 
You know, that's, people thought, how can you destroy history? Because that's not actually even history. Yes. It was done with lexicon reverbs and stuff like that. Yes. So the original, it was it was mono. Yeah. Mono was the version. Well, mono was the version because- Of all of them, even. Because, yeah, e- but, even to the end, yeah. mono was still the main version. Absolutely, because people didn't have stereos. Yes. You know, mono and vinyl- Yes. The version, I think, and I think that's right. I think if you the stereo was almost like an afterthought. The stereo version of the of the recordings were, let's just say, less had less focus. Yeah, and and like no one's listening to the stereo because like radio wasn't stereo. Yes, you know we are we're in this world now where we have all the music in our world and in boxes in our pockets and we have everything everywhere. But you know, if you want to access anything, you're listening to something at home. You're listening to mono. You know, people wouldn't have heard stereo. And that's why, you know, interesting or uninteresting, early stereo was just crazy. I mean, quite good fun, but it's kind of crazy, you yes. know. And, and actually, in America, stereo is a much bigger thing than it was in England. So the early Beatles albums that people know where all of the bands on one side, yeah. all the vocals on the other side, and people go, that's great. My dad was so angry about that yeah. when it happened, you know, the, because Capitol took the records and did this because they wanted stereos because that was the th- new thing. It's like the... The yeah, new, but the they didn't do it gimmick. in a musical way. They just did it in a, in a they just did it, yeah. technical way. Exactly right. I've heard rumors, I don't know if this is true, that the reason that the things were separated the way they were was if you played one of those funny, odd stereo through a mono system, it sounded better. I don't know if that's true. Oh, really? That that was the theory of why Capital did it was because that's what sounded better on the radio. I don't know if that's true. I, I wonder if that's a, resp- that's a response in, into, into the English saying, why have you done this? Yeah, maybe. And they went, well, because maybe. if we play this. Could yeah, be an I, excuse. Yeah. But it'd be fun to do the tests. Yeah, it would actually. Yeah, see yeah. What yeah, it's that thing about like, you know, when you take a mono, it's this thing when they were remastering some mono stuff. I just said, just take one side. Don't take both sides and put them together. Yeah. She was going to get some sort of phase. Yeah. It's mono. Yeah. Take one side. Yeah. That's <laughs> a good idea. You know? So with with that process, and this is the thing that I battle with, is that I, I've had a really happy time of things because people have accepted what I do, you know, which is amazing. And I never thought they'd be, you know, I thought I'd get my with house the burnt down. material you're doing, it could be catastrophic. <laughs> yes, yes. So the fact that... It's not. You, the fact that it's not... Is a really good sign I, I, because well, you really are playing with fire. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's one of my um, great marketing things is that Giles Martin, not catastrophic. Yes. That's, that's what I, that's what no, I go but, for. But, yeah. you, but you're given the tools yeah. to really do damage. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I try my best. Um, but, uh, but then, and it's the weirdest thing now, it's just like, I'm the person who talks about Beatles albums and the like, and the Beatles, they, they want me to. It's like, you know, yeah. I was in XFM in New York talking about Revolver and Ringo was in the, in the morning before night and they went, Hey, Ringo was in. I was like, was he? And they went like, yeah, he goes, he says, you know, we love Giles the best. And I love Ringo. Ringo, as you, you worked him. He's yeah. great. He's like, great. he, not only is he one of the best drummers ever to have lived, he's also one of the nicest humans ever to have lived. Beautiful like, man. Yeah. I was like, why, why am I talking? Why am I talking about revolver? And he's you know, it's that it's that thing. But you, but the technical aspect of it, everyone wants to know about the technical aspect. I'm feeling going, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Just listen to the music. You know, that's yeah. the thing. It's like yes, there's with with revolver, for instance. And I hope people like it. It's had a, like I did an interview with the Sunday Times, and the guy said, I mean, you know, I listened to it with my son, and it's my favorite album, and I loved it. I, it's I just come to say, Giles, it's great. It's like it was mastered a month ago. I went. 
It was Masters a month ago. (laughs) 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 And that's it's this weird kind of thing. But I want people to listen to the songs. It's like it's that thing. It's like with the Beatles because the Beatles. It's the same with the streaming thing. I use maybe in a not even a Machiavellian way, but I use that influence they have as a as a catalog to try and make. All of it better. Yes. You know what I mean? That's the yes. if I'm if I'm gonna be given this privilege, I might as well like, you know, the interesting thing about the the demixing process is not necessarily it's I'm, it's listen, so it's amazing that we do have, do have this technology which is helping me mix Revolver by the Beatles and it's one of the greatest albums, whatever. But for things like stuff by Dre, there's things that stuff on on, on NPCs or Akai samplers in the nineties, people don't have their assets. Yes, you know, the, um, Tom from the Chemical Brothers family wants a remix setting some by the Chemical Brothers. And he goes, "We just can't find the drums, Giles." And you go, "Okay, there's artists that now can have their things back." Amazing. And so that's what I'm going. That's what we're, we're going. Okay, how do we how do we make this available to people? That's what I'm into. I'm not into I'm not into the elitism of it. I mean, it's the Beatles, so it's yeah, elitist, yeah, yeah. but I much prefer it to be. For everybody, yes, absolutely, and, and it's a great tool, and for for the people who also happened to catch the best version of something at the demo recording yep. and it was just on a dat or di- right, you know, yeah. a digital recorder and that's all you had was the digital recording yeah. and it doesn't really sound as good as it can but the performance has never been beat yeah the fact that that could now be turned into a proper recording is yeah. very exciting and there's so much stuff even i mean i was asked to remix in my tw- when i was in my 20s i worked with NXS, since so they became friends of mine now they asked me to go and you know mix something and they could they had no one can find the vocal to this track. Wow. And it's like a really well-known song. Wow. And so, you know, hey, Peter, can you have a look at this? And it's like, here's your vocal back. Just things like that. Amazing. The incredible thing about what I get to do is I get to get a one-inch four-track tape out of its box and put it on a machine, press play, and it sounds the same as it did when it was recorded. I mean, with the Beatles stuff, there's no baking, there's no restoration, and I don't want to, I don't want to digitally cleanse something. I don't yeah. want to... Because it ages things. It's like, you know, yes. it's like plastic surgery on someone's face. It, it'll change the quality that's there. In the world of what our legacy of what we've done and what you've done, how many recordings that you play back can be played now? I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that happens. It's like, you know, even the love show in, in Vegas, we, after the 10th anniversary, we redid it. And I was working on Pro Tools 9, creating this thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't open the sessions up. Yeah. Like we had to go back and get an old computer, and you know that's yeah. it's that. But somewhere from fifty six years ago, get out of the box and press play. Amazing. There's more of Rick and Giles's conversation, so be sure to check out part two next week, where they talk about the glory days of George Martin's studio that was built next to an active volcano in the Caribbean. They also listen to a song from the remastered Revolver album, and Giles talks about his father's surprising punk rock values. You can hear a playlist of Beatles songs remixed by Giles Martin at brokenrecordpodcast.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Tolliday, and Eric Sandler. Our editor is Sophie Crane. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. 
And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.